0: Hello and welcome to Global Digital Futures Podcast, brought to you by the SOAS Coding Club. I'm your host, Chipoma Pondera, and you're listening to SOAS Radio. This week, we welcome Dr. Yen Lee to speak about MOLCA and online violations of women in South Korea. Yen is an active researcher in the field of digital culture and politics with a focus on the Asia-Pacific region. At SOAS, she also designs and delivers an institution-wide training program for doctoral researchers. In addition to providing courses and workshops on research methods and skills both online and offline, she is responsible for a range of other tasks to enhance postgraduate research experience. Hello, Yen. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Thank
0: you. And as I was saying when we're chatting, this is my first episode dedicated to women on the internet. And I think it's really exciting. It's great. Thank you. So I read your paper, Online Consequences of being offline, a gender tale from South Korea. And I wasn't aware of this topic before. And even now, I'm not fully aware of what is the gender landscape in Korea, online and offline. Can you tell us a bit about this background so that we can understand how this exists within it?
1: South Korea is not one of the countries that people immediately think of when people talk about gender inequality, Mm -hmm. because partly I think South Korea being always kind of associated with this miraculous success story of being the poorest country, suddenly becoming a first world, I'm doing this air uh, quotation mark, first world country after the second world war. So people don't really realize that actually South Korea is always at the bottom when it comes to gender inequality index or largest pay gap for like 20 years among OECD countries and country with the highest rate of a female homicide. All of this, that, that's not really quite people immediately think of, obviously. And now, so the paper you refer to is this particular phenomenon called Molka So that's. Basically, the word itself literally means a hidden camera, but basically people just film women in the least expected situations uh, inside the toilet cubicles, just uh, motels, hospitals on the streets, and then they just consume that as entertainment or even porn. Uh, So it's uh, probably sharing the same roots with uh, revenge porn or cyber stalking, but there are differences. I'm sure we we will talk more today. But yes, basically that is just highlight uh, the kind of situation. So gender, I'm glad there will be more sessions and I'm honored to be the first one who kind of bring up gender when it comes to online technology. I mean, I myself didn't really see this through the lens of gender when I first started. But then while being engaged in different international projects, what struck me is perhaps South Korean women, what they experience when they go online, when they post things online, they have a more common ground with women in another country than uh, South Korean men. So there is a definitely this gender differences between male users and female users when it comes to being online and being visible online.
0: And how are women's voices and issues addressed in the society at large, maybe online and offline?
1: So I think feminism, it's not like suddenly something just started. But so we have uh, generations of uh, women's rights activists, and they have been working relentlessly in the field. But since 2015, there have been more visible efforts of women kind of pushing back against the gender-based discrimination and violences. And while they become more visible and more successful in a sense, so now the pushback from the other side who are not very happy with this manifestation, that also becomes quite hard. So it's always a tug of war. And now, so yeah, things are just now brought to the fore, if you like. Can you tell us more about the Molka culture and why and
0: how it has become so prevalent? In your paper, you spoke about the manosphere. Can you tell us what is this about and how... How do you define this?
1: Yes, again, manosphere is a, is a term that's uh, you know, used in the field and it's not exclusively about South Korea and it's not just one space where men all gather and then do things. It refers to a loose network of different places and different sites, podcasts, chat rooms, and where... So they might have a different agenda, so to say, but they share the same kind of language and same kind of uh, ideology, if you like, and that... So in Korea, for example, again, people wouldn't use the word manosphere Manosphere, they would use a Korean word, which literally means male-dominated communities. So forums where you expect most of the uh, users are men, then they kind of uh, the kind of language and the uh, atmosphere, if you like. When I talked about manosphere in Korea, it's not just about male rights activist spaces. It's actually uh, websites where people talk about baseball, people talk about stock prices. But then, when it comes to molka footages or any crimes of such nature, then and they suddenly share the same language. For example, they don't see women as uh, fellow members of the society, let alone fellow, I don't know, fellow human beings. It's a, suddenly, it's a game, there are prizes or there are collateral damage. And that cultural thing kind of normalized this whole thing and almost uh, trivialize the phenomenon as if it's, a, it's some kind of a laughable thing. So
0: what is the difference or the specific nature of Molka versus other forms of gendered online violence, such as revenge porn and cyber stalking. How does the ecosystem operate?
1: Uh, Molka is uh, basically, so uh, cyber stalking and revenge porn, the perps usually have uh, someone in mind. So it can be someone they know, ex-girlfriend, or someone that they want to exercise control over. But Molka, so again, it, it does have the same root, but here it doesn't matter who they are because they will just set, install a camera inside, let's say, a cubicle or uh, someone's house house or someone's motel rooms or hospitals and all of that and then whoever is filmed and then that footage will be shared I mean I will be talking about uh, the ecosystem in a bit but then the victim wouldn't even know that they were violated until someone identified them in a footage and then if they decide to let them know so it's that constant fear that really pushed women onto the street actually there, are, there have been uh, many protests on the street as well so somebody will generate such a footage and then they will uh, share it through sometimes it's just just in their circles. So like chat yeah. rooms privately, or they might share that with other strangers through cloud storage services. Yeah. And then they would just share the folder with the, you know public sharing options on, and then other people will simply download. And then so one's own footage is just being shared with random strangers. That's the most distinct feature of this uh, Molka crime. And also it will be quite difficult to investigate as well, because it's just now being spread over the internet with someone who has no personal connections with the victims. Yeah, I think that is part of the issue. Once it's
0: online, how do you get that personal information back? How do you even discover or find out where it is online? It's very frightening. Yeah,
1: so victims because they can't really turn to the authorities or they didn't have much luck with that. So what they do now is some of them when they realize that they fell victim of this crime, what they do is they would actually hire private services called the digital undertakers. So that's another term coming from all this, and they basically hire someone to have those material deleted off the face of the internet. But the two things, one is that there is never, you don't know whether something is completely eradicated because things can just uh, pop back. Again, somebody might have a copy and then later they might upload it. So it's just an ongoing uh, financial burden on the victims. And second thing is, uh, again, in that paper, I mentioned briefly that now those undertakers, digital undertakers and web sharing services and all other digital service providers, they kind of have created this whole business connections and they don't really take the side of the victims if you like. So again, the victims were, they just have nowhere to turn to. It is quite disturbing just by talking about it. It's so frightening. And can you
0: tell us more about the business of Mocha? Because it's an industry, but then it's also somehow underground, correct?
1: So uh, it's surprisingly not so underground. So, I mean, yes, it is. It's, It's not a legit business, so to say. So in that sense, yes, but at the same time, you don't have to go into the dark web type of thing. It's just any kind of web storage services and just individual users. They would just set one folder with sharing options on and then people just navigate through and then download the things. So basically the individual users and those storage service providers and digital undertakers and also those storage service providers by law, they are supposed to have such material removed. But then people who are providing that services, they are also in it together. (laughs) So those people all together, they basically monetize from the victimhood of women. That's why the people who are protesting this whole thing, the word that they used was a cartel. They just formed this cartel together, which makes it difficult to address this, put a stop to this whole disturbing phenomenon. I just
0: want to understand what is it about perhaps the sexual culture in South Korea and also digital media that encourages this level of extreme objectification of women, because you mentioned the repackaging of posthumous pieces, which you can explain for our listeners.
1: And that's particularly disturbing. So first I came across that, that practice through victims' own words. What they were saying is that sometimes they have a suicidal thought, but then they stop themselves from acting upon it because they know then their video will become more popular. So some pieces that came out for English-speaking readers, they kind of try to make A connection between this and the the South Korean situation where porn is banned, full stop. And there is a very strong censorship of any obscene material. So people are saying that if it was illegal, then people wouldn't actually turn to this kind of material. So that was kind of a hypothesis that was put forward in some pieces that I saw. There might be a little bit of that. But what I've learned while doing my research is that male users quite readily state that even if they have access to porn, I mean, they would prefer this material because it feels more authentic, it feels more entertaining. So I think it's not just about whether they have um, access to adulterated material or not. I think it is more to do with the rape culture and how, maybe unwittingly, but how they have been able to consume this without so much of uh, consequences.
0: And speaking of consequences, I want to look at two things. First, what are the consequences in the lives of the victims? So how are they seeing socially and then what is their experience after seeing themselves in this predicament? How do they react to this? How do they feel about
1: themselves? So I mean the reports that came out about that is so some of them would use their own money to hire someone to try to have the material removed as much as possible but that is practically impossible because material will just keep popping up and others are going through you know traumas so they had to seek medical help and all of that. Spreading such material, there is a law (laughs) against that. And one relatively positive development uh, since last year when women actually were doing a series of mass protests and some high-profile cases is that now there is a discussion where people are acknowledging that it's not just about certain individuals and their uh, deviant behavior. It is a networked enterprise. And even if those people who are just not creating those footages, but if they let it spread, they are actually part of this uh, big crime. So now the discussion is kind of taking that shift, which is a positive thing. I'm not suggesting that uh, harsher penalties will solve everything, but at least now it's saying that it's not just you can't really address this whole thing by spotting one or two individuals who upload these things regularly. Obviously, they are called heavy uploaders and then they are in the central position of this whole thing, but that wouldn't really address the whole phenomenon. So there are some positive developments at the moment. And the other consequences I wanted to look at are the legal consequences.
0: What are the legal consequences? And how is this issue recognized legally? What level of gravity is given to this issue? Because it seems that the women feel that it's not taken seriously enough. And there was that example of a woman who took a picture of a man in a life drawing class and posted his nude pictures online and how she was immediately reprimanded. Can you just tell us more about that?
1: I mean, actually, I kept referring back to this offline protests last year. There were uh, six occasions, and uh, there each time there were uh, thousands of women present. What actually triggered was not a Molka per se, but there was one woman, as we mentioned, uh, one model who had an argument with a male colleague. So she took a picture of uh, him while he was posing uh, in a, a nude drawing class, and she posted uh, on a website that is considered to be a, a radical feminist website. And the issue escalated really quickly. So she got arrested. She had a really highly publicized arrest and she got sentence of, I think it was 10 months. It was really moving fast and the sentence was also as much as that. But what women found particularly frustrating at that time was it's not that she didn't do anything wrong, but all the time before and after her cases, they were all those male perps, they got off easily with a gentle slap on the wrist. So that really triggered the whole protest. So now we have, I mean, we didn't plan this, but there, there was a, this high-profile scandal that broke out last week involving K-pop idols and all of them who were involved in this whole uh, Molka sharing and running date rape stations. That's a separate issue. But what women are pointing out at this point is, first of all, he was already let off three years ago for the reason of a lack of evidence, but they didn't even confiscate his phone and all that. And now even evidence was there. He was not immediately arrested either. So again, women are saying that first, the matter is not taken as seriously as the government or authorities are saying they do. And secondly, there is some institutional bias when it comes to addressing or when it comes to legal consequences. So yeah, so that's what's unfolding at the moment. The discussion is taking a positive shift And also now the traditional media, when they are reporting the case, again, they are kind of trying to be a little more sensible than previously. So we are basically at the moment watching the space, but yes.
0: And just to touch on the protests, I found it quite interesting when reading coverage about them or just seeing pictures that the women covered their faces, hid their faces reportedly because they also don't want to deal with backlash for being part of the protest. And a lot of the articles that I read were European media reporting on it. What was the media coverage and the perspectives in Korea? So from
1: 2015, 16, there have been some offline organizing of not about MOLCA, but around women's rights issues. And each time when there are more visible efforts, but at the same time, like you said, uh, rightly, there have been backlash against those efforts. So anyone who organized such protests or vigils and mail you they passerbys if you like they basically take picture of those participants and then they would post those footage on ironically on their site so again we could loosely call them the manosphere and they would basically try to dox or just post humiliating comments or try to identify who they actually are to harass them more concretely and all of that so while they are protesting the Molka phenomenon they had to cover themselves and also there was a controversial decision of guarding the site quite closely. So, you know, who can actually participate in all of that because they didn't feel secure and safe enough to participate in that event offline. So, yes, so you will see a lot of them actually covering. It wasn't quite, you know, those uh, symbolic masks. It wasn't quite that. It was literally just to cover their identity so that they won't be identified online later on. And as we're talking about the
0: protests, I just want to mention the activist groups that were involved in these protests. The Courage to be Uncomfortable, Digital Sexual Crime Out and Career Cyber Sexual Violence Response Centre are some of the ones that I've picked up. Are they
1: quite active online? Is there a woman sphere? <laughs> yeah. There are communities where, um, you know, the majority or most of them are uh, women. And also, uh, you know, I kept saying, you know, from 2015, there have been a lot more visibility because of uh, that was the year when there were things before that. But that was the year when a group called Megalia came about. What they did was they basically uh, did this gender switched jokes. You know, you see a lot of things in popular culture where men and women, you suddenly they switch roles and how things are, it just highlights. So what they did was basically they just used um, the language that men will use, and then they just turned it around. So it was uh, was just that, but somehow it hit the nerves, so to say. So it really created a lot of backlash from male users or men generally in Korea. So now the, the site itself is now no longer there, but the community name Megalia, that just stayed on. And anyone who's saying something feminist or anyone is advocating women's rights, then they will just use that as a label now. So, I mean, the bottom line is, yes, there are spaces where women would gather, you know, they would. And also I mentioned earlier that, you know, the model who took a picture, she posted that picture on a site called WOMAD. So that's another uh, site. So there are uh, sites like that, but, and also those activist groups that you mentioned, they work both online and offline and try to help them get suitable help, medically or legally. They did fundraising and all of that. Uh, So, yes, so there are some efforts to push back. But the more visible they become, then the more they are easily targeted as well. (laughs) So yes. Can we speak a little bit more specifically about
0: the government's response to this? Because the protests last summer were described as the biggest women's protests in the history of South Korea. That's hard to ignore. So what is the response from the government? So
1: there have been a lot of statements, extraordinary press release by uh, different ministers and the president himself uh, also mentioned in different front cabinet meetings. So because the protests were, there were six events throughout the year from, I think it was from May till December. So, and also because it it had such a physical presence, it was quite hard to ignore. So they did say things like, you know, there is going to be zero tolerance. There is going to be harsher penalties. But then um, that hasn't really convinced those participants sufficiently is that since then the kind of campaigns that the government launched, it still had that tone of, it's a funny thing. It's a prank done by men voice type of thing instead of uh, the anxieties that women are feeling. So one poster that I cited in the report and another thing that I re- quite recently saw was uh, again from the, the Ministry of uh, Internal Affairs. What they did was a man is deleting the folder where he was archiving all those Molka footages and a- as if that's a heroic act. And it was a kind of a cartoony poster and they uh, tweeted that out. And obviously that's not the kind of response that women are calling for. So yeah, it's uh, still an ongoing. But they are saying that, so there was a legal revision towards the end of last year saying that now they will penalise not only those people who generate the footage, but those people who actually are participating in the sharing of the footage. So they will be also faced with legal sanctions. So that's, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but at least now that kind of things are brought into the public discussion.
0: So just to round up in a way, what are the discussions on some of the solutions? You mentioned that, you know, some of the government responses are not what women are really calling for. Yeah, what are the solutions? What are women calling for in this situation? I think it's also quite complicated because it's not just addressing the technology itself, because you already have laws where the shutter of the camera shouldn't be muted so that, you know, people can tell when a picture is being taken, but that's circumvented in some ways. So it's not necessarily the technology, but also changing the mindset. It's a social thing in a way. And you mentioned this idea of collective negotiation, which I
1: think is really interesting and great. Yeah. What are some of the solutions that you hear in this discourse? The government wanted to kind of show that they are intervening fast and uh, effectively. So they are now talking about more close monitoring of online activities. So some people are crying that's actually a stronger censorship. And again, you know, that could be abused despite the best intentions. Still, you know, we don't want to use this to create more state control, I mean, that's not the kind of a direction that women are calling for either. So, yes, I mean, you, you just said it perfectly. It, it's not just about technology. It actually requires a more pedagogic approach, more cultural thing. But at the same time, one thing that we can kind of have that in the back of our mind when we look at this issue is that it's a networked thing, it's a collective thing, so penalizing a few individuals wouldn't really resolve the situation. And when we talk about data abuse or privacy and all of that, a lot of discussion is about individual against state, individuals against big corporations like Facebook, uh, Twitter. But people don't really talk about peer-to-peer level violations. So again, that discussion is not quite there in this whole round of digital privacy, integrity, and all of that. So I I want to kind of highlight that as well, because a lot of this, it's not just about state surveillancing citizens or companies' platforms manipulating individual users' privacy and data. Actually, it is happening at an individual level, fellow users of the same platform, same technology. So that's something that I think needs uh, more attention. And women and other social minorities, they have a very specific set of uh, risks only. So they have their uh, yeah, specific set of risks and uh, challenges. And again, that's not always addressed either. So that those are two things I would like to highlight.
0: Thank you, Yen. A very important topic. When I was reading your paper, it was very personal, let's say. So yeah, these are very important issues and great insights. Thank you. To discover more about this topic, you can access the following resources, which will be available in the show notes on our website. Read Dr. Yen Lee's paper, "Online Consequences of Being Offline: A Gendered Tale from South Korea," that is on Medium, and visit Yen's website for more of her writing. That's yawning. Tree.wordpress.com and follow her on Twitter at YawningTree. Read the latest scandal surrounding the South Korean spy cam epidemic. The Guardian article arrests over hotel spy cam porn ring that filmed 1,600 guests across South Korea. It was released just yesterday, Thursday, 21st of March. You can read the Reuters article about the latest sex scandal involving some of South Korea's most famous K-pop stars that's titled Sex, Lies and Video, Scandals Rock K-pop World. And learn more about Megalia, an online feminist group that was started in 2015 as a response to the misogynistic culture and discourses in male-dominated online communities. And that's in the feminist media journal titled We Take the Red Pill, We Confront the Dick Tricks, Online Feminist Activism and the Augmentation of Gendered Realities in South Korea. And for more back. Background on Korea's spy cam epidemic, read These Aren't Random Objects, They're Hidden Cameras on the Korea Exposé website. France 24 cover the biggest ever women's demonstration in South Korea. Read about this in the article Spy Cam Porn Sparks Record Protests in South Korea. The Guardian article, A Part of Daily Life, South Korea confronts its voyeurism epidemic, looks at institutionalized sexism and how it relates to new laws against sexual online violence in the UK. And the article, Digital Undertaker Business Booming in the Korean Times, is about how businesses concerned with the right to be forgotten are booming in Korea. Read the Huffington Post article, No woman in a public place is free from the risk of upskirting. We must do more to tackle image-based sexual abuse, which gives a more global take on this issue. And the Slate article on the misogynistic Dutch website, and. On on IB inside a non IB where hacking is a sport and women's bodies are the prize is also a European view on this and goes really into the issues with online sexual violence and the Verge reports on legal measures taken against a non IB in the article Dutch police have shut down a non IB in the course of a revenge porn investigation and the article on Business Insider the viral plan based story is raising some serious questions about how creepy social media can be questions privacy in the age of social media. And finally, the New York Times article, How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up Justine Soka's Life questions online activities and their consequences. You can find us at www.soascodingclub.com and follow us on Facebook at Soas Coding Club and on Twitter at Soas Coding Club. We broadcast every two weeks, so tune in to discover what's next in your global digital futures. (laughs) (音楽) Let's go.